The scripture reading this morning comes from Mark 5, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. The theme for the next two week, weeks is rest for the new year. And it's really an effort to recover from the holidays, but also move into a new year, a new decade. We will be in two stories that sit next to each other. The first at the end of Mark 4, and then next week, the beginning of Mark 5. And, and just so you know, in a couple of minutes, the lights are going to dim just, just, a, just slightly. I have a couple of pictures to show you this morning, which is always kind of fun. So we'll get to that shortly. But knowing this series was coming my, my way, I tried to pay attention to my own soul and life over the holidays and jotted down just a few things I thought I'd share One, uh, when when I'm sitting down, my foot keeps moving, tapping the ground. My knee bounces. And I was sitting in a small round table with family over the holidays, and, and somebody in my family noticed the table was moving like this. And it was just this jittery kind of foot that I take with me everywhere. And it's hard for me just to sit down and be a person and stare out the window. There's another morning where I was just staring out in the front lawn and I just, I just had to do something. And I saw a stick in my yard and this isn't like a huge, like a stick in my yard. And I just had this compulsion to go out and get it and put it away. Why couldn't I just rest and be a person and stare out the window? And I've always, I've, I've realized that I always sort of have a to-do list in my mind. And that comes out with like looking at, oh, I got to get that stick or I have to do something. Why can't I sit and be a human being? The reality is I'm really a, a human doing, <laughs> if I can just say it that way. I've lost the art of boredom. I have compulsions. This is another thing. I have compulsions to check my phone when I really don't need to check my phone. Christmas Eve, looked at my phone. I mean, who's going to text me? I mean, Santa Claus going to text me? I I realized that, you know, I opened um, one, one day, I opened my parking app that I use downtown. And I was sitting in my, in the den of my house. I, I was not going... My, my car was already parked. Why do I have this compulsion? Why can't I sit and just be a person and rest? 
And the last thing I noticed is there is a difference between being busy and being in a hurry. Being busy is just life. It's unavoidable. But being in a, hur- in a hurry is a condition of the soul to where you can't be present to yourself, to God, and to others. Being hurried, as I'm using this terminology today, is connected to self-preoccupation. Michael mentioned that earlier. And that self-preoccupation causes unrest. It's an issue for me. I mean, if I am the lifter and holder of life, if I am the one for that, of course I'm going to be at a place where there's no rest. Because I'm not made for that. I've learned a lot through John Ortberg in his book, Soul Keeping. He has an excellent explanation of the difference between being busy and being hurried. Look at that quote with me. It feels really important this morning. Being busy is an outward condition, a condition of the body. It occurs when we have many things to do. Busyness is inevitable in modern culture. And then he goes on. Being hurried is an inner condition. A condition of the soul. It means to be so preoccupied with myself and my life. That I am unable to be fully present with God, myself, and with other people. I am unable to occupy this present moment. Busyness migrates to hurry when we let it squeeze God out of our lives. Now, I don't think he's saying squeezing God out of our lives in a way that God is out. He's leaving. I don't, I don't think he means that. I do think he means that, that God is not the focus of our soul. Because if self-preoccupation leads to a soul-deep hurry and unrest, then, then fixing our eyes on Christ leads to a calm, restful inner life. So Dallas Willard mentored John Ortberg, and uh, it, it is said that Dallas, when he passed away, he had some notes on this on his refrigerator about the hurried life and the spiritual life. And he wrote this, hurry involves excessive haste or a state of urgency. It is associated with words such as hurl, hurdle, hurly burly, and hurricane. I don't know what hurly burly is. <laughs> hurry is a state of frantic effort one falls into in response to inadequacy, fear, and guilt. Again, that's self-preoccupation. So my theme this morning, really, it's pretty simple, hopefully deep, but it comes in this, in this question. What if the reality of Christ's presence sinks into my everyday soul? What if the reality of Christ's presence sinks deep into my everyday soul? Now, when I say reality and sinking in, I, th- just to give a couple of examples of that, sometimes I'll hear engaged couples, they'll say, oh, you know, here's my ring. And the reality of being engaged is beginning to sink in. Or a, a couple that is newly married, you know, after a few months, the reality begins to sink in. Same with when you bring a baby home. There's a new realm of life and living. Our twin girls turned 16 this past week. 
And I remember when we brought them uh, back from the hospital, it was actually two different times there in the NICU, but we, I just remember this one moment where we set them on the carpet and there are two car seats and two little tiny babies just looking at us. Something was sinking in that was very different. There was a new life there right before, something new and wonderful. And my curiosity goes to this, this question, like, do we ever have that with God? Do we have this moment where this, this truth or, or this reality just of God just kind of, whoa, he's here right now. And I believe if we can practice that, if we can learn to practice the reality of Christ with us and let his word and his presence just kind of sink in, that brings true rest for our soul. That's where I'm headed. And we are invited to practice and align our life in such a way that we can be a settled, peace-filled, calm people of God. Man, I don't know about you, but I think the world needs that. (laughs) Jesus' greatest reality was his father. We all know that. His father was everything to him. Jesus aligned his life accordingly. He removed himself. He withdrew from the hustle of life and ministry. And he retreated. We know that. We learn that in Mark chapter 6. But there's another way that Jesus planned rest for his soul. And if I'm honest, I, I've never noticed this before. I've never seen this. Jesus used the boat as a place of rest. And Mark is super helpful and provides details about about boats coming and going. And the second slide I have here is is from Mark 6. And I just had to have you look at this. I mean, we haven't even gotten to our our text yet. We'll get there and, and, and it's all good. But look at this. Look at that second part there. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. And Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. I never noticed that before. And just imagine them. I mean, they're in the boat and they're going away. They're drifting out. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So they're on the shoreline running around. They say, oh, there they are. It looks like they're going over there. And they would run groups of people. And this isn't like 10 or 20 people. We know later in in March 6, this becomes 5,000 units, family units of people. So they are trucking around. N.T. Wright looks at Mark 6 and he translates it this way. Mark 6, 53, a little bit down. He said, they made made landfall at Gennesaret and tied the boat up. People recognized Jesus as soon as they got out of the boat and they scurried about the whole region to bring sick people to Jesus. Can you imagine that? That flurry, they scurried about the land. I can't blame them. I cannot blame them, but it gives you a picture of what was happening around Jesus. Mark does a beautiful job explaining this and piecing this together. The boat was a place of rest. Professional life, student life, family life, it's just flat out busy. 
We need not feel, feel guilty for that. But I'm here today to say there's a difference between being busy and being hurried. And that we need a similar space for soul deep rest. So how do we do that? How do we not fall into this hurried life? How do we really move into the rest that Christ provides? Well, let's go get the boat. It's tied up right over there. Let's go. Come on. And that's what Jesus did. So let's look at Mark 4, 35 and 36. Mark 4, 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And so that idea of let's go to the other side, it was a plan. Now, it wasn't a plan from three days ago, but it was a plan for that moment. It took intention. They left the crowd. They left that enormous hurly-burly. <laughs> Is that even the right? <laughs> that, that hurried community. So what was a typical boat? light back then. And this is where it's kind of fun for me, kind of geeky thinking about this. But in 1986, two friends, they were amateur archaeologists, were walking along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And it just so happens there's a drought in the area. And so the water in the Sea of Galilee, which was a freshwater uh, huge lake, was receding. And something appeared in the mud. And, the, and those two friends, they went and they started to just kind of clear around this, these pieces of wood. And to make a very long story short, they discovered a first century boat. Now, this is, uh, I had a chance to actually visit the museum right when I was in school. It's right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this was called the Jesus Boat. Now, it has no connection to Jesus at all, <laughs> but it is confirmed that this was a first century structure they found. And what had happened, the boat sunk and it sunk deep into the mud, which preserved it. And then the drought really revealed the structure. So, uh, you know, uh, they they got fiberglass and they they the government got involved and they lifted this boat and put it in this um, in this case and it is a boat, the, the dimensions of it are uh, 27 foot by 8 feet. And w- a couple of things that we learn about this that I think pertain to our text this morning is this boat had really low sides. And they had low sides because the kind of nets they would use. They would use a drag net, which is a really long net that would stretch a good distance maybe to another boat. And they needed a low side to pull up the net. And underneath this boat, there was a place, there's space for a large catch of fish. And it was a a space to keep these large nets. That's most likely where Jesus rested. And I don't think there was a fluffy little pillow underneath there. Um, There's an explanation for that. They, They actually had bags of sand and bags of dirt that were underneath the hull there to offset the weight of pulling in a huge catch of fish. It was likely that Jesus rested his head on that bag of sand. Now, to visit this and to see this, something happened in me. Now, I know there's no connection of, with Jesus with this boat, but, but something, a reality sunk down into me. That makes any sense. Like, whoa. It just made this story real. 
It, made, it, it just made the life and the words of Christ real, just being there on the shore and imagining this storm and imagining what happened. But I want to say to you, you don't have to go to Israel to have this sink in and making this real to you. You don't have to travel to Israel to do that. But what you might need is time away to rest and reflect on truths like this, letting his word sink in. I mean, this boat, it sunk into the mud for centuries and it preserved it. I just like that tie in. Verse 37, our next slide here. And there arose a fierce gale of wind and the winds were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And storms in that area, I mean, they come in, there's, there's hot air really low and that, that sea is below sea level. So these storms pop in and they are so strong. And we already know that the boat had low sides. And so we can see quickly that this boat took on water easily. It was a nasty storm. And these guys aren't new to the area. They're not rookies at being on a boat. They are technically professionals. Yet they were panicking. So what does that tell you? It tells me that, man, this, this storm was special. These guys knew what to do generally, but this storm was overwhelming them. These professionals were at the end of their rope. It's fascinating to connect this with Psalm 107. Psalm 107 says simply, The waves mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. Their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits end. Psalm 107, but verse 20, 29 says, God stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. So they were at their wits end. That feels important to point out. And I can't help but to wonder, how was Jesus able to sleep through the beginning of that storm? How in the world was he asleep toward, at the beginning of that storm? And what was on his mind as he drifted off to sleep? Aren't you curious about that? Verse 39. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Eugene Peterson says the wind ran out of breath. The sea became smooth as glass. I love that calm, restful image. The idea was that Jesus muzzled. He put his hand over the mouth of the, of the waves and the storm. Literally, that is the word muzzle. Shh. He used that same exact word earlier in Mark to hush a demon-possessed person. Mark does a beautiful, what he's doing is he's, he's connecting these stories, showing you that Jesus has authority over death, sickness, demons, 
in the natural world. And people were astonished. They were astonished. Now, the stock word for, for being afraid is just scared. Literally, I mean, they, were, they feared with a great fear. But again, the message is interesting because it says they had absolute awe. They were staggered. So hear me, they're not scared and freaking out and jumping off the end of the boat. They are in awe and they are moving in towards Jesus with incredible astonishment and possible joy. It is fear in a new sense. That's that's very important to understand. And Psalm 65 and 89, they, I'm, I'm not going to go there, but, but check them out. Psalm 65 and 89, and there is a connection between God calming the wind and the waves and awe of people being struck with something awesome. So focus, the focus goes from the wind and the waves to managing that, and all of a sudden the focus turns to Jesus. Revealing who he was. This is a new reality that is to sink in and to be engaged with by faith. That's that's what it is. That's the key to it all. And it's such an invitation to faith and rest. And that's why it makes sense now why Jesus was was so flabbergasted. and, And he was even astonished that they didn't believe. And that shows me, oh my gosh, who is this man? Do we have any idea of who he is and what he's here to do? So Jesus was awake and so were the disciples. Again, what I have to share with you today is this. When Christ with us becomes our greatest reality, our proper focus, we have access to deep rest. And we can be motivated to like, oh man, I'm now going to cut out 10 minutes and sit and stare out the window and be with him and let that stick just be in my yard. (laughs) So a couple of practical points I just wanted to kind of begin to, to wrap up here. The first is in our places of rest, continually ask the question, who is then Who is this then that the wind and the waves obey him? Once again, he is to reveal that all all authority belongs to him. And if we resort back to the hurried life, we will be tempted to doubt. Man, I struggle with this. Often our answers to who is this could be something very false. And what comes to my mind, you know, if I'm honest is I, I don't know. I'll just have to survive this storm. On my own. Or maybe later. I'll think about this later. And check my parking app. (laughs) Or wait. Isn't this Mary's son. Isn't he from Nazareth? Is he really. Who he's saying he is. Or he's asleep. I feel like Jesus has been asleep my whole life. He's not relevant or around for me. Or no thank you. I can do it. Or an eye roll. I've heard this before. You know, that last one, the eye roll. I, you know, I worked with students for 12 years. 
and I had you know, great, great years and great students. And, but every once in a while, especially like this, if I came up and began to share or say things, you know, you know it was kind of that. But there was one particular time that I remember, and it was on a mission trip. And we're in Johnson City. And uh, there's 220 of us, and we're in this flimsy gym. And uh, the weather wasn't great. And we, we had come for our evening session. And I was actually speaking on this, this passage. And I kid you not, true story. As soon as I read that first part, there arose a fierce gale of wind and a mighty storm, a crack of thunder. Boom! Right when I said it. And all those eye rolls... Those eyes were like, boom, you know, and that was just one of those moments. It was just really fun. <laughs> but I think, you know, that, that has something to say to us in everyday life is to be wide eyed to this reality. Oh, my gosh. Christ is in us. We are the vessel. He is in us, standing over all of our storms, seeing all that is going on. There is a purpose with storms, and that's an example of that. But Christ was measured against a fierce st- storm, and he had greater status. He is limitless, yes, yet we have limitations, and that's okay. My biggest struggle is sometimes limitations can speed up my heart. It's, I got to get going. I have these limitations. I got to move faster. But we must face our limitation in Jesus simultaneously. Because this is what happened to me. I look at all this coming into, in 2020. And I weigh that against myself and my limitations. What does that lead to? Anxiety. Unrest. But we must look at 2020 and we measure them against Christ, who has all authority, who is plenty powerful to handle, handle 2020. That brings rest to my soul. So our, lad, our limitation, our next slide here is our limitation doesn't have to lead to hurry, but to a restful encounter with Christ. There are no experts of the sea or professionals of the spiritual life. We all have limitations. Can we just say that together? I'd like for you to look at this one painting by Rembrandt. This is Rembrandt's Christ in the Storm. You can't see the detail. I encourage you to see it on your own another time. But look at all the ways. If you can see, there's so many ways that the, that the disciples are reacting to the storm. And they, yeah, they're doing great things. Grab the rudder. Yes, grab the rudder. Pull the sails down. Yes, do that. But this storm was too big. It didn't matter. And so what Rembrandt does here is, is, is really beautiful. He moves your eyes from the top left all the way down to the bottom right of the painting. And what's happening in the bottom right of the painting is there's some disciples that are starting to realize that they are at their wits end and they need him. And they are having this encounter. So their limitations are leading to this encounter with Christ. Isn't that interesting? And what I want to, to, to say again this morning is that we are in this story. Every biblical picture that Rembrandt painted, guess what? He put himself in it. His face is in this painting. 
And we too are in it. But we have to know our limitations and then let them bring us down, humbly moving down the picture to Christ who is awake and alive where our reality can hit us deeply. Our final point here, and then we'll move to dismissing. Make a grace-based plan to create space for your soul to rest. Fight against the thought that this is one more thing on the spiritual to-do list. That's not what we're talking about. As the reality of Christ in us sinks in, there's soul deep rest provided. Now we can align our everyday lives, even if it's 10 minutes, even if it's just getting away for 10 minutes, we, we can engage with him. This is not, this is not earning brownie points from God. This is simply effort to experience what is already true. I mean, think about it. If 2020, we have a thousand trees to cut down. We need to take time to sharpen our axe. If we never sharpen our axe, we're just going to get frustrated. Slipping away, it's important that we sharpen our axe so that we can continue on. One thing that has really helped me with this, and I'm almost done. Walter Brueggemann says, memorizing scripture is so helpful. Do it. Carry those words with you. But also memorize moments. In other words, walk around the biblical imagery. Keep these with you. And that has been so helpful for me because I can take these moments of Jesus over the storm speaking out and calming. And I can just take that picture and I can even see it. And thank you, Rembrandt, for providing some of that. But when I have time to slip away or to go park in a parking lot for 10 minutes, I can recall that image. Yeah, you can recall a passage that you memorize. I'm not great at memorizing scripture. But boy, I can have images really stay with me. And I know that because I'm really good at worrying too. I can have the image of worrying about something wake me up in the night. And does God want me to wake up in the middle of the night and worry about something? No. I can't imagine going to my kids and saying, at four o'clock in the morning, hey, wake up. You need to think about your grades or your, <laughs> hey, wake up. There's no way. Now, when eight o'clock comes around, that's different. Wake up, you know, it's different, right? But I think even just thinking about the pictures and images that we carry in our mind and the way that we go about life, to let these images help us sink let, the, let Christ sink in with us. Sometimes we have to slow down as we read Scripture because I take my hurried life into doing my quiet time or reading Scripture. No, let's slow down. Let's let an image truly grab us. I'm gonna, I have so much more to say, and I've got another week to say it. I'm so thankful for that. But I'd like to end with just kind of a personal note. This, I'm so grateful to host this passage and be with you. And, and for me, yeah, like Daniel shared, I mean, there's a lot of things about this coming year that are like cause unrest for my soul. And, and again, I want to just say I mustn't weigh 2020 against what my strength is, but weigh it against 
the reality of who Christ is in me. So prepping, prepping for the story, I, I just kept just Jesus standing between the disciples and the storm. That has stuck with me so much. And so the storm's over here. Jesus is right here about to calm the storm. And I'm right here with the disciples. And I've just carried that with me and just said, you know, that's the setup. And I'm just going to align my life like that. And it's, it's as if Jesus has said to me, John, I have come between you and any unhelpful thought, obstacle, or circumstance of 2020. John, I am the way forward and I care about you. I am in you. You are in me. Together, let's rest. Together, let's move to the other side. Together, let's do great things. Father, thank you for your wonderful, beautiful heart towards us. And I just have a feeling, Lord, that as you drifted off to sleep, that you had these thoughts of the Father, that you are in the Father, and the Father is in you. And maybe that's how you could sleep during during the first part of that storm. But I pray, Lord, that you would lead us into these moments of just having 10 minutes to recall who you are to us, the greatness of who you are to us, of letting you hold 2020. Thank you for stilling the wind and the waves. You're incredible. We love you and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.